the Amateur Hour podcast finds itself again, probably more waist-deep, not even knee-deep anymore, waist-deep in the middle of draft conversation. But if you stop there, then you're kind of like everyone else, and that's okay. We're not scouts, Danny Wexelman and I. I don't claim to be. Love learning from them. Love listening to them. So if we stop there, that's where we stop. This is about the people who are generating the conversations, who are lighting up the metrics, who may financially have their lives changed forever in the summertime. And I, and I love this show, Danny, because uh, you went to interesting places. This seems to be a common theme, by the way, a very, very common theme uh, on this year's show, and I'll tell you why. Virginia Tech's Jack Hurley, when he graduated, by the way, they both were, and it stinks, they both were 20 grads, COVID draft, COVID graduation, drive-through graduations, all the crap that went along with being a COVID kid in your senior year. Both our guests were COVID grads. Jack Hurley, Virginia Tech. Now you've heard the name, right? I mean, you looked at, you, you selected this podcast because of Jack Hurley. Jack Hurley, Virginia Tech, ranking, outfield, 500, 208 amongst all outfielders, 208 outside of 500 amongst overall players. Cade Keeler, ranking, same thing, incredibly low outside of anything high. Perfect game, thought he was a nice player, but again, did not have a high ranking. Both of them now are within the top 20 amongst every player that's draft eligible. When you look at PG's draft 300, Cade Keeler, Campbell, right-handed pitcher, Jack Hurley, Virginia Tech, they've taken college, they've completely developed under the watchful eye of both their programs. Yeah, I think that's what stuck out to me recently. It's been a it's been a couple of weeks since our last episode. And what I've had the chance to see, and I know you have too, is no well, number one, guys at the big league level making their debuts, whether they went to college or not, speaking to the development of what's happening at the high school level and the college level. And then you look at these two guys, you listed their numbers, where they were coming into school, and they weren't the guy. And they took college and they used every ounce of their power to make sure that they're eating right, they're studying right, they're using the technology that's provided to them, they're leaning into their teammates, their coaches. And all of this to say now is where they're at and where they could go come the draft in July. And that's a completely different place than when they got to campus and stepped foot at their colleges to be student athletes. So I think that's something that's spoken to me since the last time we recorded one of our podcasts is just how much college has meant to these players and how much it can change their lives. And so for Jack, it's really cool to hear his family's influence. They're at all of his home games and they've got this nice tradition going and and what they've meant to him but also just what this program has meant to him and if you look at his numbers pretty staggering from freshman to sophomore year and then even this year now by the time the podcast comes out the role that he's on and the adjustments he's made and he shares what those are and and dad and how dad's helped him out a little bit and i think actually one of the coolest things that we get to hear from him is who his favorite team usa teammate was and is and he hasn't faced him yet i'll give you a little hint he's gonna face him this season and he gave us a little insight into what he might have to do at the plate to try to get a hit and then for Cade keeler this guy stands out for so many different reasons number one if you just look at him he's got this incredible mustache going on and then we get to hear the story behind his mustache and how meaningful it is and how i think we go to a deeper level 
you did such a good job with that, D, just taking it to a deeper level because this kid shoves. He's phenomenal on the mound. He's really special. He's really talented. He's at a mid-major program. Justin Hare's done an amazing job with Campbell. But what Kid Keeler brings to this game is so much more than just baseball. And I think that's also really important to show, and I'm glad we get to do that here. And kudos to all four parents, Tim, Mary Ellen, Richard, and Tracy. Just wanted to say their names, the four parents with these two athletes. Because, again, if it all bounces, the baseball bounces the way it's supposed to bounce, they will both, in the middle of July, when you're getting done with your, your 4th of July weekend and you've celebrated whatever you do with your life to enjoy it, they'll both, in all likelihood, by the end of summer, be millionaires. And, um, and, and they'll handle it well. They'll handle it well. I don't think I'm stretching it to say I, they'll, they'll handle it very, very well. I think it's telling when Jack Hurley, you know, I, I mentioned the rankings, and, and Keeler, by the way, was the 438th right-handed pitcher in the class. Uh, again, he's number 20 in the draft 300 now. That's all players, college, JUCO, high school, a 438 right-handed pitcher. But, but Hurley said, uh, I deserved those rankings back then. Uh, you know, I didn't play well in games. I, I'm glad there were some good scouting reports about me. That maybe got me to college. Um, and, and by the way, you'll be blown away by the scouting report from six years ago about him um, and how spot on it was. Somebody at Perfect Game, I got to figure out who wrote that, nailed it with him, like just flat nailed it. So it, it's a great podcast, some real conversations, Keeler especially, um, you know, pretty darn transparent and could impact some people when you listen to his thoughts. Uh, Kate Keeler, something that's nothing to do with baseball, yet everything to do with baseball uh, at, at the very much same time. Brain Montgomery will also be a small part of this podcast. We have Hunter Pence always as a guest contributor to the podcast. He's my co-host on Perfect Game College Baseball that airs on Perfect Game TV. It's a great one. Listen up. Enjoy. I actually, I want to start with your family, Jack, because Darren was talking a little bit about your mom. We've heard a little bit about your dad, Tim, and and the contributions that they've made to you. So I want to start because I, I saw that you were quoted back when you were a prep player talking about adversity and, and what you go through as a high school kid to, to get to college. And, and you brought your dad up. I know we'll talk about mom, but you brought your dad up and, and the time that dad spent with you. Can you kind of take us back home with you and, and show us a little bit of what your family does together and how dad's been a part of your baseball journey? Baseball has been the Hurley family for uh, ever since I was like a little kid. Um, so going back to Whenever I was three or four, we were playing in the backyard, me and my dad, and, you know, he was always giving me a bat to swing, um, kind of pushing me past my limits, uh, and that went all the way through Little League, through high school, everything. Um, and then it kind of was a family. Like, you see all my family here at the games, and it's, it's, it's really motivating um, to kind of compete for them and play for them. Uh, but it's, it's something our whole entire family can kind of rally around is the, the whole sport of baseball, but it's brought – Brought me and my dad really close. He played at Penn State, um, and ever since whenever I was a little kid, I was like, I want to do that. I want to play college baseball like my dad. So um, I think that that might answer your question a little bit. Yeah, it does. It does. What about some conversations maybe that you've had with dad that have stuck with you, whether it was after a tough game or one of your best performances? Is there something that he says or has said to you that you carry with you? Uh, we've had a ton of conversations uh, the past couple of weeks just about uh, approach stuff, about like mechanics, everything. I, I talk to him after each game. Uh, we'll, we'll run back past the at-bats and 
just think about what I could have done better, what I did good. Um, so one that might have stuck with me is a couple of weeks ago, um, I was kind of like going through like a little slump kind of thing, and he told me, he's like, just try to lower your hands a little bit, uh, go up there with a little bit of confidence, and I, I, ever since then I did that, and I felt a lot more comfortable. So a lot of the credit uh, past couple of weeks has been uh, to Dad, so thank you. <laughs> Well done by Dad. Yeah. Seven home runs in your last seven games. So Dad gets the credit for that and for that swing change. I'll give him some of it. Not all well, of yeah, it. Yeah, he didn't swing the bat. He didn't pitch recognized. He didn't have that natural heart pounding that comes into being in your shoes at that moment. Uh, but after speaking of like the, minor, the, the most minor of swing changes, dropping your hands just a little bit, between freshman and sophomore year, refresh me as someone who's getting to know you about the swing change you did make between freshman and sophomore year and how you still see the impacts and how big it was for you. Refresh me on that, please. Freshman year, I kind of started with my hand just laying on my shoulder. Um, it was very like herky-jerky kind of going back like here just with the pitcher. Uh, but then going into sophomore year, I was like, I need to change something up a little bit. Uh, I need some more rhythm. I'm, I'm, I play better whenever I'm in rhythm. Uh, and I kind of rose my hands a little bit here. and had some rhythm into it, uh, kind of working with the pitcher as opposed to like having that herky-jerky movement. Um, and then ever since then, my sophomore year, I've kind of just been cleaning it up a little bit. So it, it's kind of changed uh, a couple times just without even trying to. Um, but recently, it was, my hands were a little too high up, so Dad was like, just bring them down a little bit. Um, and I did that, and it's felt really comfortable. So every, this, this year, I've kind of been just focusing on just cleaning every, every movement up and making it as swift as possible. So, so video is everything, and I'm sure you'll tell me that the incredibly slow-mo video is also part of what you look at. But how often do you pass by a full-length mirror and use that to assess your swing? No bat in your hand, just you looking at balance. How often does that happen? It happens pretty often. We have so many mirrors up in our cages uh, at Tech, and I, I always catch myself just in the mirror trying to figure out uh, where my hand should start, what, what my move's looking like, um, because then I really get like good feedback from it. I'm like, okay, this is what I look like right now. I need to change something up or just keep doing that exact movement. So mirror drills, I think, I, I mean, I love them, uh, but the video is good too. Yeah, it's interesting. <clears throat> I look back on, on time when you were just, just a baby, if you will, um, and you went to a, a Middle Atlantic showcase in Jersey. I don't even know if you remember that. A perfect game showcase. You were a kid way back then. But here's where they nailed it. Whoever was there scouting and whatever level they were with perfect game, okay, here's where they nailed it. For a guy that graduated as the 208th ranked outfielder in the country who now is projected to be a first-round pick, to me, follow me, Jack, here's where they got it right. It said way back then in 2017, that's six years ago, highly athletic. Highly projectable build, middle approach, line drive swing play. And you hit a ton of line drives today. Legit bat speed. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? That even though, you know, you look at rankings for whatever they're worth, right? For whatever they're worth. Whoever wrote that scouting report in simplest of terms nailed it, didn't he? Yeah, just tell whoever wrote that thanks. Because that, I, w I definitely wasn't putting it together in the games, but I could take a decent BP. So if they saw that, tell them I, tell them I said thank you for that. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of cool because those are the things. I mean, look, you you want you know the metrics, you want all that stuff different game situations. You're doing that now, but those words you hope still describe you today. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. I think I think they do. I, I hope they do at least. But I think I've 
came a long way since that uh, Mid-Atlantic showcase, um, and I put it together a little bit more in games. I, I don't blame them for ranking me whatever because I was definitely not putting it together back then, but you know, I've had a lot of support here, so they've helped me come a long way. A lot of times those those blurbs that are written are right, but they don't know necessarily who you'll be as a person, right? Or the work that you are going to put in to get to where you are now or how you're shaped by your surroundings. And so I actually love when Darren does that because um, often we get the response that you just gave. And and it's led you to great things, right? Because you were part of the national team. And and I could imagine that experience was so special. You had teammates with you and, and it's such a, uh, you know, honor to to be part of that but we hear a lot of the relationships that you build off the field or just the guys who are on that team that maybe you didn't know before do you have a guy who who you met on that team who you didn't know coming in and now that um you're closer with yeah uh i i love the boys from wake i didn't know uh rhett louder teddy mcgraw very well going in there um but coming out we, we talk all the time and keep in contact. I text him after his outing the other day. I was like, dude, you're killing it. So he's Rhett and both Teddy are, are awesome. And they're friends that I will have for a while. Have you faced them this year? No, I haven't. We play them. Uh, I think the last weekend of our regular season. So okay. they're, they're on a roll right now. So hopefully the Hokies can do some damage, but it'll be a tough matchup. Yeah. So when you see Rhett, I mean, you mentioned Rhett, the recognition he's getting to, we had him on last month or so. What do you do in the box against him? How do you, how do you get a knock against a guy like him? Uh, he's got a couple of good pitches. So just kind of seeing the ball in the zone is probably my best bet. Um, he's got one of the best changeups I believe in the country. So if he tries to throw that thing, got to, stay in there and hopefully stay through it and get a try to think in, up the middle. But I told him the other day, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep a straight face whenever I'm facing you. So he was like, I don't know. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I love that. I love that. I think there's something that crosses my mind more than it did last season or the season before doing this podcast with Darren is, is how the game has changed so much since you guys have been in college and how much more developed you guys are, you know, you, you see dudes who are drafted and are playing or have the chance to play so much sooner because of your development. So you're at Virginia Tech. John Chef is your head coach. You've got a great staff there. What do you think is the biggest part of your college experience that is, has developed you to make you more big league ready? Um, I think it's directly playing my freshman year. Uh, I got a lot of experience playing that freshman year and not everybody gets to say they, they went into a big program and and had experience like I did my freshman year, and that definitely propelled me into sophomore year and beyond. Uh, so getting that early exposure to ACC-level competition uh, was huge for my development. And then all the things that we do here at Tech, like from a hitting standpoint, lifting weights, all that conditioning that we do uh, in the offseason, in the preseason, all of that stuff really works together. And on top of the experience, uh, it's, it's kind of propelled me into this year. So, so where do things like sleep and meal prep rank in your world these days? Uh, sleep is huge for me. I, I, I sleep like nine hours a night probably. Um, I try to get as much sleep as I can. The meal prep, uh, we do a really good job here with nutrition. Uh, so we get all, a lot of our meals uh, catered to us. and. Um, so it's very nice um, not having to really worry about that. They kind of took that off of our plate. Um, but the, the sleep thing is definitely huge for me. 
It, it does make a difference, doesn't it, with your mind, your body, um, recovery. How do you recover at the end of a game? If you're, if, you're, if you're grabbing those nine, I can't think of the last time I slept nine hours, but if you're grabbing those nine hours, um, and, you know, it hasn't happened. Like, I'm looking since, what, March 18th, we record this podcast. You know, in, in the last 10 games, you've been on base 25 times. So there haven't been sleepless nights. But when that next offer comes, I hope it never happens. But when it comes, how do you unplug? How do you unwind? How do you relax so you can go to sleep? What goes on with you? Is it gaming? Is it reading? Uh, what, what happens to you to unplug from even, even a great night? You got to unplug. What, what do you do? A lot of times, like I said, my family comes to the games. So it's, it's a lot of hanging out with them. Or if they're not there, hanging out with my friends. So if I go 0 for, if I go 2 for whatever I do at the plate, um, I kind of just every day go back and hang out with my friends and family and those who, I, who care about me most and who I care about uh, most. And kind of helps me get the mind off, my mind off uh, the whole baseball thing and just looking forward to the next day. Wow, makes sense. And, and your mom, Mary Ellen, what gives your mom, Mary Ellen, joy? I think what gives her joy is just kind of being here and seeing me uh, do my thing. She loves coming to Blacksburg um, and watching the Hokies play baseball. So I would say right now that gives her a little bit of joy, obviously. She wishes I was probably home a little bit more than I, I am right now. Um, because all my brothers and sisters are out of the house too. So I think whenever our family's together, that's what brings her the most joy. Do you hear mom in the stands? What, what kind of fan is mom? Oh, she's definitely rowdy. I, I don't hear her too much. I try to stay locked in. Um, and there's t typically we get some good amount of fans here. So kind of blends in, but I've heard some stories and she's definitely, she's definitely a loud one. Ooh, is there, is there a story you could share? Um, I, I've just heard from my, some of my friends uh, in the dugout that sometimes they can hear her. <laughs> and what about post-game? Do you guys have a spot that you go to regularly? Or are you trying new spots? How does that look? Um, we've been actually post-game not as much, but pre-game we've been doing a new thing where we have a, uh, on I think actually Wednesdays, we do a, like a little get-together at our house. So we, did, we started doing that two weeks ago, and we've been playing a little bit better. So... Uh, we we did like a grill, uh, we like cooked burgers and dogs the other day uh, last Wednesday, and we took that into the weekend and gave us some momentum. So uh, we're doing the same thing tonight. So that's kind of our pregame thing as a team right now. I love that. How do you dress? What do you dress in? A hamburger or a hot dog? Oh, definitely a burger. I don't do the hot dogs. <laughs> I, I've offended you. I am so sorry. <laughs> I've just never been a. <laughs> never been a big uh hot dog guy now that's fair that's good i love that d I mean, for me i'm just if i'm taking all things baseball away from you and they're gone um what else are you passionate about maybe professionally as a career um or things that you enjoy what else like if, if i were to take it away from you and it's not going anywhere but um what else are you passionate about that maybe could pay your bills someday I would I would say I'm I'm a I'm a people person. So if there's a way that I could do something professionally that would, uh, you know, cause me to communicate with people every day um, and try to learn more about others, uh, I think I could do a pretty good job. Maybe make a living off of that. Um, but really, it's the relationships that would keep me together uh, if I didn't have the game. Uh, so the relationships with my friends and family. I love that.
You can be a broadcaster. So come join us awesome. when you are long done with your career. Come join I us. I actually the- I have a little bit of experience. Yes. Last year we were playing in our regional, uh, and they gave us the mic, and I was on the mic broadcasting our game in the middle of the. In that the was me, of- Jack. I that know, was I, with I, me. I, was, I think it was you. It was like me, Graham Firebed. We were just we were just broadcasting. It was so much fun. That was one of the highlights of my Virginia Tech career. Are you serious, D? In the they're they're crushing. So they pick up the headset in the game, put it on. They don't even know. They're like, "Is this thing on?" And our producers like they put the camera on them, and they're like, "Okay, we're just gonna roll with this moment here." And it was amazing. <laughs> it was so much fun. I, I we still talk about that moment till uh, today. Yeah, it's awesome. Oh my God, that's great. Okay, well, there you go. Danny, that's that's a pretty high ranking. Like, this is a dude that's got like 30 something home runs in his career, and it's like the highlight of his Virginia Seriously, it career. is. It was really cool. You can join us anytime. That, that, that concerns me about my job. That concerns me about my job. Stick to baseball, <laughs> Cowboy. I'm still not ready Jack, to go Jack, thank yet. you so much. Mississippi born and raised, Braden Montgomery may be our favorite perfect game All-American amongst the handful that we enjoy for the for the following reasons. He killed school, destroyed it as far as a, as a student. Wonderful, strong family. Um, mother making emergency room sacrifices during the pandemic. He understood how she, you know, traveling the globe, being an impactful doctor, understanding who she is. He shared that with us when he was a player. Now he goes to Stanford, which I don't know, the list is none of us could have done academically. And he goes there and he's destroying the baseball also destroying the classroom. He's a cherished Perfect Game alum, and I use that word not lightly. He is very cherished for what he's accomplished. Uh, And Hunter Pence, my co-host on Perfect Game College Baseball, spent some time with him. You can find that show every week on Perfect Game TV. Here's a little bit of Hunter and Braden Montgomery from Stanford. You know, yeah, Stanford last year, Braden, you were were part of a team that, you know, you you started off a little bit slow as a team. You came in hot late. Uh, you know, and you're kind of hitting that rhythm a little bit right now. Can you describe a little bit of like what you learned last season and, and that run you and, and Stanford had uh, as opposed to kind of, you know, getting started You're on a six game win streak right now? Is it a similar feel that you had to last year? I'd say it's a kind of similar feel in a way. Um, I'd say for me personally, I can be more comfortable though, like in, in games that we might be down earlier or whatnot, just kind of knowing what we've been through and knowing what we're capable of. And so that kind of leads to our confidence to be able to just believe we're in every game and we have every possibility to win every game. I love that. And it, 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 it definitely is great to take those lessons and, and, and transform them and live in that uh, from what you learned. It's a part, you know, experience does all. You have the great athleticism. I got to ask you, uh, I've always thought this. I, I think that hitters should talk to pitchers and pitchers should talk to hitters. But the ability to do both, what have you learned from pitching that you take to hitting? And what do you learn from hitting that you take to pitching? Right. I mean, I just kind of – Thinking the game standpoint, like kind of just sitting in the dugout, kind of taking in the situation, like thinking of what I do on either side um, and just kind of stuff like that. And then also kind of movements, like maybe if I'm working on a feel or something on the mound or whatnot and kind of translating that to, to like hitting thoughts or vice versa and whatnot. Um, and so it just kind of helps with my process and preparation and whatnot. I'm, I'm kind of excited to meet 
I mean, we just met in the pre-recording, Campbell's Cade Keeler, uh, who, who does such a great job for this staff, but he's not alone on a successful team. So, Cade, later on, I want to talk to you a little bit about what you shared from Movember, if you will. But I want to, I want to talk to you about Mo March, because I'm guessing you wish there was Mo March. So what happens in a month, and it's gone now, in which you deal out 25 innings, you strike out 36, you only give up one bomb, you pitch great all month. Three of those starts are on the road, which is key, and I think bears mentioning what went well for you, whether it's mentally or physically, in the month of March, because you probably want Mo March. Uh, I think our coaching staff put us in a position to challenge us throughout the month of March. A lot of road games. We went to Louisiana, right to App State, some challenging weather with a really cold, really windy. Ended up getting snow on Sunday, so we played. Uh, didn't end up playing that game. So I think kind of getting challenged, and that's something that Coach Hare puts on us really often, and just rising to that occasion and kind of taking whatever challenge is thrown up my way and trying to put my best foot forward. Okay, so there's your answer. On the coach's side, he made it challenging for you as a pitcher, and I'm going to just talk individually. The team responded too. Why did you respond so well? Why individually did you respond so well to those challenges? I think I love to be challenged. It kind of proves to me what I'm really capable of so in any environment any situation it's kind of just a competition with myself to see what I can handle whether it's 35 degrees and windy or raining or whatever it may be I don't think I've had a home start this year that hasn't gotten any sort of rain so kind of just testing myself to see what I can get through and see how good I can really be. Kate, Kate what are you capable of if you if you if you want to learn and, and and show yourself what you're capable of Kate, what are you capable of? I think really anything I kind of put my mind to. I think any situation, any team, I got to throw against the number one team maybe ever in college baseball last year at Tennessee. Kind of got to go out there and compete with those guys. So I think it ended up pitching on the college national team last year. So it's kind of whatever I put my mind to. We should go back because there's there's got to be some people or some places that have shaped that mindset because I, I love to hear that. And I think that that comes from – a good group of people to support you and, and also to kind of just show you those things too, right? So take us home or, or take us to your, your favorite place to, to pitch or to practice and, and who's with you and, and how do they help you? How do they shape you? Uh, so I was fortunate enough to play with the same coach for 10 years from six to 16, had the same head coach for our summer ball. His name was Rick Suarez. Um, we had an elite team. For, for as long as I can remember, I think we were ranked as high as third in the country in a 12U organization. So I was kind of the guy that he would put in with bases loaded and no outs coming in from the outfield. And he's like, all right, like, get out of it. We need you to get out of this to win a game. So being on a high-level baseball team, I think we have eight Division One players. Um, Philip Abner is at Florida right now. He was highly recruited out of high school, almost got drafted. So just being around elite talent my entire life and put into highly competitive situations, I think it's kind of just made me grow into that kind of mindset. What's your what's your body's reaction to coming into a situation like that? Maybe not having done it as often or as much as you would want, but your coach says, hey, come on, you're doing it. I think I'm definitely an adrenaline guy. I don't feel much when I'm out there, so I think just the adrenaline gets going and it kind of locks me into whatever situation's at hand. Yeah, and just one more on that team. So you're... you're your Canes national team, I mean, the numbers are gaudy. They're <laughs> really gaudy, uh, especially, I think, your last season. Uh, an 8-1 and record, three saves, .82 ERA, 
um, the WWBA Championship, a Perfect Game World Series, number one national ranking. I mean, like, it's silly, right? What's your fondest memory of travel ball? What do you got for us? That group knew how to win. I think we had nine walk-off wins that summer. Um, it was just a bunch of guys that knew how to win baseball games no matter the situation. We'd go down 2 nothing early, and it's like, all right, like, how are we going to win this one today? I think we were like 48-3-3. and So just being around that elite-level talent and being able to compete. Um, I actually was on American to begin the summer and then was invited to play with Nashville because they needed an extra arm. Ended up throwing really well. Got the invite back for the Perfect Game World Series and then ended up throwing the most innings in the tournament and having a really, really good week and then winning a world, or I guess it was called a world championship at the time, was something that will stick out for me forever. That had to tell you something about yourself, right? I mean, again, here you are now. You, you, you told me earlier you love challenges. You love responding to challenges. You, you kind of embrace discomfort. Um, but that had to tell you something about yourself, not to uh, overinflate your ego, but inflate your confidence to, to say, okay, I actually do belong at this next Division One level. I already know I'm headed there. I'm planning on going there. But going through an experience like that with quote-unquote dudes, D1, Power 5 dudes, that had to tell you, I belong with you guys. Oh, for sure. I remember getting there and kind of looking at the roster sheet the first day I got to the Perfect Game World Series, and I think I was the only mid-major guy on the team, if I remember, or there might have been one other. So I'm like, like wow, this is, this is pretty unreal. And then Coach Mills told me I was starting Game 1. And so then it's like, all right, like, now I really got to go. And I ended up throwing like five scoreless or something good. And the guys backed me up behind me, a lot of good offense. So kind of proving to myself and kind of getting those comments like, why'd you choose Campbell? Why'd you choose Campbell? I'm like, well, I think it's pretty obvious now why I chose Campbell. I am where I am. And then top 25 national ranking. So That's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, so for you, stuff-wise, who are you as a pitcher? And you can be detailed. This is a geeks podcast. You're not going to lose people on describing your pitches um, and, and what has worked for you and why it's worked for you. So take a minute or two and, and kind of describe your arsenal and be as in-depth as you, as you can, please. I think the thing that sticks out the most is the power fastball that's kind of developed since I've been here. The high ride, I think it's 20-plus uh, induced vertical, low approach angle, all of that. So I think kind of just the power fastball that I bring. And then my sophomore summer going into my sophomore year, my freshman summer going into my sophomore year, that's when I developed a little cutter-slider hybrid. Uh, it's kind of gotten a little more sweepy, so the horizontal brakes got a little bigger, uh, stays on the same plane, and I think that's kind of the best complement to my fastball, same arm speed, similar slot. Um, and I think I throw it actually for a higher strike percentage to my fastball, so that's been the game changer for me. And a 2-0, 3-1, 3-2 count, they can't just sit on the fastball because no matter how hard it is when you know it's coming, it's not that hard to hit. So now I can kind of keep guys off time. Played a lot with the curveball over uh, the fall and into the spring, and I think I've got a good grasp at it, trying to get it more up and down to play off the high-ride fastball. Uh, and I think I can. it's really good to finish down at the bottom of the zone with two strikes. The splitter, I would say, is my most unique pitch. Kind of has a knuckle look to it. Not like a split change, more like a true splitter or forkball. Um, same slot, kind of just something different that I can bring to the table. And then I've actually brought in the true circle change into the year. I think I've thrown it 10 times on the year, but it's kind of something that I've been working on and kind of fun to see work as I go into the season. So if, if it has the look of a forkball, do you split the baseball or do you go up the seams? How, how do you hold that splitter? 
uh, straight split deep into the hand, kind of give it a little gap. Yeah, so my coach, Rick Suarez, he threw at Seton Hall, and he actually threw a splitter, and he knew yeah, when I was like 12, he's like, actually, like, you have pretty big hands. Like, I want you to try to start throwing this. I'd sit with a softball in between my fingers when I was uh, watching commercials and stuff, and I finally split them enough to where, like, when I was 15, it was just comfortable. And so now it's just, like, super loose, and I can throw it comfortable and no harm at all. Yeah, man, I used to do the same thing with a softball two generations ago. That's great advice you got. It's a wonderful pitch. I never mastered the change like you are mastering. Keep mastering that change because I had to have the split. I, I never got comfortable with it. Great descriptions. Thank you. Those were so good. And also, I don't feel like I hear fork a lot in college. Maybe maybe it exists, right? But we, I don't hear guys say that a ton. Are you paying any attention at all to Kodai Senga and his ghost fork pitch yeah, at that, all? Yeah, that thing's unbelievable. I, I have no clue how he throws it. And, I, I, I mean, we joke around. We don't, we, I call it a splitter, but I've heard fork ball. I've heard a bunch of different stuff. But, yeah, no, mine, I don't know if mine's anything like that. That pitch is unhittable. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. So, okay, I feel like I have such a better picture of, of who you are and, and what makes you up. I feel like Darren probably does too. So, I, you know, doing a little digging, now it all makes sense. Last year, you started a game on a Friday. You threw 103 pitches, got 10 Ks in six innings, and then you came back the next day in relief. And through two thirds shutout. Is that just because you said, Coach, I can do it? Like, I think I know the answer here, but tell us. Yeah, that was a that was a fun thing. That was a fun couple of days. We played the doubleheader on Saturday. I started the game one, did my recovery with our strength coach during game two. Our training staff, uh, Tanner and Sophia, did a phenomenal job. Got with them that night. I uh, got my body ready to go the next day. Coach Robinson looked at me before game one. He's like, you sure you're okay to throw today? I'm like, yeah, put my name on the list. Like, I'll be there. He writes it down. I'm like, all right, good. At least I know in my head, like, I'm in a competitive mindset. We finished game one. I remember being in the tunnel, and Coach Robinson put his hands on my shoulder. He's like, like, can you actually throw today? Like, don't kid me. Like, we won game one. I'm confident we're going to win game two. Like, I just need to know, are you lying to me right now? Like, do you feel fine? I'm like, dude, I feel fine. Don't worry about it. Like, I'm good to go. And then I remember it was in the seventh. We got into a little bit of trouble, and he just looked at me. He didn't even tell, he just looked at me and nodded his head. He's like, "All right, go down there." I remember coming in. I made a joke when I got to the mound because I was just like, "I don't know what's about to happen right here." I looked at him. I'm like, "Hey, I haven't had a bullpen call in a while." He looked at me, handy while he's like, "All right, you got to figure it out." And then ended up being probably the highlight of my career. Uh, double play one, one two three double play, get out of it, and then ended up winning three to two. So, pretty awesome. Wow. And your teammates' reaction to that? Because, like, we've kind of danced around the mid-major and, and Campbell and the program here and, and how important it's been to you, but also to college baseball. I mean, I think what Campbell does and, and the way you guys play, the level you play, does a lot for college baseball. But the, your teammates' reaction and your family's reaction to you doing something like that? Uh, I think they're just excited. We knew we had played not great in the beginning of the year, had a rough start, so we knew it was – Win, the, win this game or we're done for the year. We, didn't, we weren't in a spot for the at-large bid at the time. So we were all just all hands on deck, ready to go. And I think we all know 
we give what we can at any time. Uh, that's kind of the culture here. Whatever the situation is, whatever's needed of you at the time, I think everybody's bought into doing that. It just happened to be me in the time. I think we had plenty of other arms that could have done what I did, if not better. I love that answer. I, I want to ask you about what you shared on Instagram back in November. You were very transparent about struggling as uh, it seemed to be as, as kind of a preteen, uh, as a junior hire. Um, you know, you know, even thinking your life was a little bit meaningless at that point, making some tough choices for yourself. Um, I, I don't know that we need to go relive it. You did a wonderful job sharing. I would encourage people to go, go find Kate Keeler's Instagram and listen to him tell the story. I think I'm most impressed as a dad, as a guy who's that age, uh, listening to you speak about your willingness and determination to share that with others. And I'm guessing you've heard from people. Why did you decide to share your story and uh, what have you heard back? Uh, so we had a guy come in and he talked about like personal branding and we're all sitting there, all the athletic teams in the, in the school and we're sitting there and he starts putting athletes pictures up on the big board and you had to go down and speak about yourself. And so I'm actually really good friends with the guy who made the video, uh, his name's Mason. Uh, he was our media person at the time and I like, look over at him in the stands and he looks at me he's like hey you're gonna go up there I'm like all right like don't mess with me right now like don't get me all worked up and next thing I know my picture's up on the board and I'm walking down in front of 500 people uh, and he hands me a microphone he's like all right tell me who you are and why we should care about you I'm like okay I get the mic and that was just the first thing that came to my mind I kind of spoke about it a little bit um, very briefly and the student athlete advisory committee mental health representative is a lacrosse player here and she texted me after she's like hey we're doing this initiative for mental health um, we'd love for you to speak about it like if you're not comfortable with it I understand but I think you'd be a great representative for us and somebody that people could connect with I sat about it I thought about it um, I didn't tell my story for a really long time kept it to myself for a while but I remember I'm like if I can just help one person that's really all that matters it's worth being vulnerable one person's all I need um, and kind of the reaction, I think I had like 150,000 interactions or something like that. And uh, just people in my life that I haven't talked to in so long, just kind of reaching out and being like, thank you so much. It was worth any uncomfortability I could have felt at all. Wow, that's dynamic. And I, and I, and I, and I know for you, you and where faith and where it matters for you um, and sharing, sharing that in common, trying to have that kind of mindset at, you know, that you had, and what a wonderful example that you just allowed yourself to be a vessel. I mean, sometimes that just is about trust. That's really all it is. Probably not wanting to take any of the courage. I want to see your tattoo. Can you show me your Psalms 23-4 tattoo? Yeah. I'm That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Pretty powerful either at the low times and pretty powerful after a one-hit shutout. It fits either way, I'm guessing, for you. Oh, no doubt. And then I have uh, Isaiah 43.2 on my ribcage as well. So, just stop oh. that. <laughs> Dang. <clears throat> I know that one hurts, huh? That one hurt a little bit. I think the bicep was worse. I remember the tattoo artist, he was like, I was watching a guy when I walked in, getting a tattoo on his chest. He's like, that's, that's just horrible. <laughs> I'm like, oh, thanks. That's what I want to hear before I'm about to get a 50-word verse tattooed on my ribcage. And he's like, do you have any others? I showed him the bicep. He's like, you're good. That's way worse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh man, I that's amazing. I think I think what's special about you and and about this sport and college athletics is one how vulnerable you are, but how dynamic that you are. And and I think that's so important to be able to share both sides of you, the person, and you, the ball player. Um, and I, I think that's that's I mean for us for you to share that we really appreciate it. No, thank you, Kate. God bless you and your family. Thank you for the time. So I'm that 53-year-old that you would probably stereotype in the sense that everything has its place. Uh, drama, not really into it. like to create it in my content or like to have good human drama and content. But I always feel like everything has its place. Let's let things play out. That being said, I was moved by what Kate said and did. The fact that he addressed mental health. And I think he's an old soul like me. He kind of looks like an old soul. And I think it speaks to that you don't have to be someone who is quote-unquote dramatic or quote-unquote seeking attention, which he's neither one of those things, to bring awareness to mental health and, and do it for all the right reasons. Uh, to talk about that literally, if, if, if you go, I didn't address it with him, go, go check it out on his Instagram. He contemplated suicide and he used those terms and was right there on the edge of making those decisions and now as a man is addressing it in front of hundreds and hundreds of hundreds and now he's learned uh, more than thousands upon thousands that have seen and listened to um, this isn't a mental health podcast not at all by any stretch but uh, i thought it was super cool and that's why you know his parents have a lot to be proud of but so does he he's not at home he's not a little kid anymore he's a man and uh, so for him to, to be a man in that setting, um, I just thought it was great. I also thought it was funny listening to our conversation. It took a little while to warm him up. You know, it did. There were very short answers. And then once he warmed, it was, um, it was trust. I think a lot of it's trust, and I understand that. But I'm, I'm glad that he trusted the world with his story because it, though it took a little while for him to warm up with us, he trusted the world with a pretty, pretty tough story from when he was in junior high. I thought it was insightful that he mentioned it was uncomfortable, but I knew that if I could help one person, it was worth it. And I think in our world, whether it's sports or outside, but especially in sports, when you're an athlete, you, you want to be related to, and you want your feelings to be relatable. And I think that as student athletes gain more NIL money or gain more notoriety before they even step on campus, people forget that you're still trying to grow up and balance and, and figure out who you are and, and where you belong in this world. And, and it's a lot to take on. But I think when he had the opportunity, he decided to take it and, and help other people. And I think that that speaks volumes to who he is and that he was willing to be so vulnerable and share something that there's still a huge stigma around. But I, I do think that we're trending in the right direction. And I'm really glad that he, first of all, is is here and he took the opportunity to share his story for others because I think that being able to relate to people is is something that we all crave. And he took it to a level that I am sure has helped somebody else. Well, there's no doubt. I mean, picture any player USA at 14 hearing that. Picture any player USA and just think about that, you know, who's living on his smartphone and, and taking in the world as he sees it now, which is a very scary thing as a parent at times. And then he hears that, 
and he realizes that uh, this guy's got the stash and the traditional haircut and is tough and takes on all comers and by the way blows cheddar at the on the mound and is a millionaire and yet is talking like that so I, I thought it was great again we usually don't come out the backside of of this podcast and talk about that um but kudos to him and and uh jumping jack hurley just so cool to listen to him talk the confidence i mean his confidence has has been built at, at Virginia Tech. It really has been, and, and the the ability they have, you know, with Tanner Scoble last year, Gavin, he outplayed, respectfully, sorry, Gavin, he kind of statistically outplayed Gavin, and then watched his teammate go ninth overall. Um, that's got to be encouraging. Hello? The, the big leagues are calling. You're coming soon. I, I just love that. I love Jack. He kind of reminds me of uh, of some of the guys we've seen. As a matter of fact, a little bit like, like Zach Neto, who was selected with the Angels from Campbell last year, you know, the mid-major guy. So you're not ranked 208 anymore, dude. You're ranked 18 and and rising. I mean, he, he went he went in that stretch, by the way. His home run to fly ball rate, I didn't geek out on the advanced metrics. At the time we record this podcast, D, his home run to fly ball rate is sixth in the NCAA. That means if it goes in the air, it goes out. If it goes in the air, it goes out. A third of the time, if it goes in the air, past the infield grass, it goes out. But his fly ball rate is not high at all. He doesn't hit the ball in the air a ton. But when it goes in the air, it goes out. It's sixth in the NCAA. Line drive rate is really, really high. Weighted runs created plus. Love advanced metrics. 171. He is such a guy to geek out on in the stats. So, yeah, this is a good one. This is a good one. These two dudes are going to have their name called. That's why we have this podcast. Um, That's why we're doing it. And, by the way, go find it. Watch it. You can see our, our, our dashing faces on Perfect Game TV as well. So if, if you're just listening, go download the Perfect Game app. Subscribe to this. Download that. Subscribe, download, subscribe, download. You forgot to say what Jack said his favorite, one of his favorite moments in college has been so far. You forgot that part. I wasn't really listening to anything. Oh, okay, said. okay, okay. Well, well, hopefully you enjoyed his favorite part <laughs> last year during the regionals. My favorite part too. Congrats, Jack. <laughs> You know what? That's sad. That's sad, though, because <laughs> it's because he had no, fun. It's not. Sad. It's not. Yeah, had... they, they just want to be kids. They just want to have fun. Actually, dude's tearing it up, though. You're 100 percent. My right. job. It's sad for my future. Like it makes me sad. You're 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 giving chances to these athletes <laughs> where you know the studio's gonna the, the men are gonna come in here and the women and their tools and the studio's gonna be gone. It's going to happen soon. (laughs) Like the repo man, the perfect game TV repo man coming soon. (laughs) All right. Enjoy the podcast, everybody. See ya.